we are here with General Assembly today uh, and our friends at America on Tech. So I'm excited for you guys to meet them as well. Um, today, though, we want to we want to keep it on the future, like right now, looking at the future. Um, and again, for those that don't know, the WIL Take Ownership podcast is a podcast that's all about taking ownership of your mental, your economics, and your community. Um, and so we are working with General Assembly. Uh, to really just change narratives, to highlight truths. Um, and, you know, we did a dope series earlier this summer focused on entrepreneurship and building a business from home because we're, we're all sitting in our homes. Um, and today we're going to focus in on education and taking ownership of your education, especially thinking through the skills gap and, and how we go about addressing that. Um, and, and, and is there a skills gap? Is there an opportunity gap? Can both exist? Uh, these are questions I'm going to be talking to our guests about tonight. Um, and first, I want to introduce and bring on uh, Tom Ogletree, uh, Senior Director of Social Impact and External Affairs at General Assembly, um, to begin having this conversation because a lot of his work is literally at the intersection of uh, ideas, education, community, public policy, how it all comes together. Uh, so Tom, absolute pleasure to have you tonight. And also good to see that you know my friends, Evan, Jessica at America on Tech. Welcome. Thank you so much, Ofo. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you all for joining us. Absolutely. And so, you know, you've, you've been at General Assembly for five years now. Um, you know the lay of the land. You've experienced it grow, change, all the things. Um, what is General Assembly? Like, I, I want to let people know at home what, why they're here today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so General Assembly is a global education company that's closing skills gaps for individuals and businesses. So really what that means is we're helping adults get the most in-demand skills of the digital economy. So um, we offer those through, you know, historically through our campuses. I've got uh, my background is set to, to, to the view of our San Francisco campus, um, though now everything's online, obviously, um, where people can come and either you know, attend a class or workshop where they could learn a little bit about careers in tech or, you know, what skills that they might want to sort of potentially pursue, um, take sort of light touch introductory programming to sort of get a lay of the land and see if it's something that can be, you know, support a, a passion project or a side hustle or, um, you know, an existing job. Uh, path, but we have a lot of folks who are also coming through our doors who are completely changing their careers, um, you know, looking to sort of break into something new. Um, and so, you know, are coming with us to learn from folks who have worked in industry, who really, you know, get what the tech and data and design ecosystems are all about, um, and then working with us until they they find jobs. We also do a lot of work in-house in at companies. So helping big businesses who are undergoing digital transformation to kind of think through, how do I make sure that my people have the skills that they need um, to be successful at as, you know, technology is affecting every aspect of how I do business. You know, I actually didn't know that last part. And I'm going to I'm going to ask a question later on about that, because it's very intriguing to me. Um, but for, for GA, what, what's the origin story? Like, why did it start? And what was that? I guess what was that nugget or that inkling that went off to make you go? This makes sense for to, to grow as a business. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually were founded kind of coming off the heels of the last recession, where there were a lot of folks who, you know, were seeing all this opportunity in the tech and data design spaces and didn't really know how they could sort of find their way into that, um, short of going back to grad school or doing additional college. Um, and so, you know, we were really founded on this idea that 
you know, how do we sort of create accessible pathways for folks to sort of find their way um, into, you know, careers in the digital space. And, you know, really there, there wasn't a lot of sort of opportunity for folks to kind of come together with like-minded uh, folks um, and sort of really build a community and really learn from experts who had worked in the field and learn in a way that was really aligned to what was in demand in the market, right? It's not about theory. It's about what are the things that you're going to be doing every day and how do you make sure that you sort of understand what that, um, you know, gain the skills that you need to be successful in those types of roles. And so, you know, we were, we were founded in New York City. We now are in, you know, 30 different markets all over the world. Um, and I think of really sort of you know, are, are, are really, you know, part of this sort of broader shift that's happening where, you know, all companies to one degree or another are tech companies, right? Whether on their surface, it's financial services or media or telecom or whatever, right? There's, there's increasing demand for these types of skills, not just in Silicon Valley, but, you know, all over the world. And so I think that's really spurred the, the growth of our business. And I think what, what, that's really been validated by the fact that a lot of companies are now coming to us and saying, help us work with our people as we're sort of grappling with these transformations ourselves and trying to make sure that, you know, the folks in our community have the skills they need to, in our company, have the skills they need to be successful as their jobs are evolving. Sure. So in the beginning, you know, in, in your early times with GA as well, were you, what were some of like the anecdotal stories? Like what, what were you seeing to go, this, this actually works, you know, and I'm sure that turns into data, just like hard data, but what were some of those early stories that made you realize that this is, this makes a lot of sense? Yeah. I mean, I think a big part of the kind of what we kind of came up with is, you know, a, a real focus on outcomes. Um, so for students who are coming to us to, you know, change careers, which involves, it's a really intensive program, right? It's you, you quit your job and come to us all day, every day for three months. Um, it's a really intense experience, but, you know, within, you know, a three month period, you're, you're ready to be hired as a, you know, entry level, you know, software engineer, UX designer, or data scientist, um, regardless of what you did before, whether that was, you know, um, being a professional dancer or managing a restaurant or, you know, working as a lawyer, right? You know, people come to us from sort of all walks of life and pathways. So, um, I think what we really, we really focused on that job placement. And that was the sort of the key to, I think, our success was really sort of emphasizing that, you know, the career services, the job placement element, um, and ensuring really that everything was really highly relevant to what was in demand in the market, right? We, you were just learning things for the sake of learning. You were learning things that were really sort of in demand um, in the world of work. Um, and so, you know, our job placement rates have stayed really consistent, 90% um, within six months of course completion. Um, and that's been, you know, remained pretty steady, even as we've scaled up, you know, all over the world. Um, but I think that those are the proof points that have really demonstrated to us that that we can really be a really powerful tool for people who are, who are making a change in their lives. I think through my work, what's really been important is, you know, many people in the early days of GA, you know, we didn't have loans, we didn't have scholarships, we didn't have other sort of financing options. So you had to be able to afford to be able to pay out of pocket, which was a real big barrier for a lot of folks. And so I think over time, what we've really seen is that um, by sort of creating more pathways to make GA accessible, more accessible and more affordable for folks, um, that, you know, people who, you know, 
may not have gone to college or may not have had a sort of a quote unquote traditional career pathway, you know, can still be really successful in our programs and get great jobs. And I think that really speaks to what we've built is that it's not just for one kind of person or one kind of a learner, right? That it's really designed to be really flexible for a lot of different people who are, you know, bringing um, their past experience um, and their creativity and their passion. um, And that really being the driving factor in terms of their academic success, not whether or not you can memorize a certain number of things or, you know, pass the standardized test. So, so I got to ask, because the, right now the, the context outside is that COVID-19 has affected all of our lives. Um, and it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of college students right now that are back on campus that are, that are stuck now actually in their off-campus living um, because they were supposed to be in school, but now they're, they're not, right? Where they're in school, but virtually. Um, at, at this stage of the game, do you, in 2020, being as it is and how forward with technology we are, do you find that it's actually more advantageous for someone to go through a GA course than it would be to go to college? Or do they kind of play off each other? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? It's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, the reality is that most folks who are coming through GA's doors are a little bit older than college age, right? So they're typically in their mid-20s to mid-30s and they're career changers, right? They've been working in one field or one industry or a few fields or a few industries and they're looking to make the pivot. I mean, I think, I think what, what the value proposition of GA really underscores the fact that like, there isn't one type of educational experience that's one size fits all, right? That people need different things at different points in their lives. And especially as technology is changing in real time, the notion that like you have your learning at this one moment in your life and that stops is just not what the future holds, right? And so I think, you know, we are very aware that, you know, even as we switch to an all remote environment that we've had really sort of positive responses from our students, even folks who had really signed up for an in-person experience that the, the, the remote experience while you know, people miss the campuses and the energy of the being in the classroom with folks. Um, our, our, you know, NPS scores have made, remained really high. Our outcomes um, dropped a little bit, understandably, but, you know, our, people, our students are still getting good jobs. We're seeing a lot of demand for, for folks who, you know, had been working in industries that, you know, are not coming back anytime soon or, or, or not for a very long time, right? So a lot of people who, you know, worked in, in, in retail and who are bartenders or, you know, working in the restaurant industry um, who are now trying to figure out sort of like, I want something a little bit more sort of like stable and predictable, um, given that what I was doing is, 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 you know, has really been disrupted by all of this. So, and we've been doing some partnerships with, with colleges, universities, we're doing a big uh, partnership with CUNY um, around helping both their current students and recent graduates access a lot of our sort of digital skills, fundamentals, programming online, um, making sure that just from a career exploration perspective that folks are sort of be able to sort of access and learn about that we're doing a lot of partnerships with you know um uh you know governments um and to help sort of workers who have been displaced by covid so um doing a big partnership in in uh, louisville kentucky um you know with employers there with the mayor's office to to you know uh, help train workers who have lost their jobs um because of covid just announced um another one in sacramento another one in atlanta you know buffalo's on the horizon as well. So I think there's a real role to play for us. But I would also name that like, you know, community, you know, there, this also creates opportunities for universities and community colleges to really be innovative around how they think about, you know, meeting folks where they are. But at the end of the day, you know, I think the, our success has been more of sort of a recognition that, you know, 
people's education and career pathways are really going to vary more and more um, as sort of the external world is changing. And we're seeing that really accelerated by COVID. And so, you know, we know that we play a role in that ecosystem. But, you know, folks like us, folks like the American Tech team who we're going to be speaking with are all sort of part of that broader sort of ecosystem of providers who are really acknowledging that there is no right way to learn and right way to sort of find your way in the world of work. Um, and that people need different things at different times that can sort of meet them where they are. So, so, you know, it's kind of picking up off of that, you know, we're going to talk about this concept called the skills gap uh, that we'll, we'll break into more. But, you know, so for me, I have my own tech company um, team now is about 15 people. I, I talk oftentimes in the interview process about this concept of being addicted to learning, right? And, and, the, and anyone that works with us has to be because things like you said, move so fast. It, it, you know, it, it really ends up being code for if you're not willing to, to continuously learn, you will be left behind. Right. And that we see that manifest itself in real life, right, across different industries, you know, for for other companies like how did how do you guys go about addressing that and partnering with them to solve those problems when it comes to their their employees growing with the firm? Because, you know, historically, the way, you know, we'd see it coming up is a company may pay for you to return and get your master's at, a, at you know, with some program and then come back. Right. Or but how is General Assembly, you know, kind of fit its way into that that path, if you will, um, for companies to, to think about as an alternative. Yeah, and as a as a as a as a business leader yourself, I'd love to get your reaction to this. But you know, I, my take from the GA point of view is that I think what we're you know, a lot of times the assumptions, especially when the conversations around the skills gap are really around hard like around hard skills, right? The idea is that like, if you know how to program in a specific language, that's going to, you know, solve a business problem or allow you to be successful in your career. Where the reality is that so much of it's about like your mindset, right? That, that, that addiction to learning, that sense of being resourceful, being able to collaborate with teams, being able to be, you know, solution oriented, being able to sort of tackle complex problems, being able to sort of like, you know, encounter things that are unfamiliar or new and not and see that as an opportunity to to challenge yourself rather than something that is a is a blocker. Right. And I think that's so much. And I think it, it often sort of trips a lot of some of the businesses that we talk to up as we're sort of talking about, you know, some of these concepts is so much of this more is about creating a mindset than it is about sort of having a particular set of skills, because those skills are, are not going to be useful forever, right? The shelf life of skills is shrinking, right? Like the value that you are able to bring if you know a particular, how to do a particular thing, um, you know, is 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 only going to be last for so long because the, the world is just changing in real time. But if you have a learning mindset, if you have that flexibility, if you have a sort of a problem solving orientation, if you're resourceful and you're willing to work with people, that's the thing that really sets people apart. Um, I don't know if that's consistent with your experience, but I think increasingly like that's 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 the sort of the paradigm that we're we're trying shift that we're trying to make in terms of how people think about their own learning and development. No, a hundred percent. I mean, and I, you know, I was reading something earlier about how the, it's the soft skills that really matter, matter right? If, if you can find someone who's amenable, who's open to change, who's open to learning and growing with the team, um, and, you know, and they have a, a bend towards knowing the stuff that you need to know, they're going to keep iterating off of what they know and making themselves better, making themselves a sharper tool for the company as a whole. Um, so I, I definitely see that. And I guess how, knowing that's the case, how do you, how do you at GA 
then go about splitting that time, like that, that learning time, how much of it goes towards shifting the mindset of people that join versus, or and I should say, um, giving them that hard skill that they can leave in a few months with. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you're going through one of our three month immersive classes, you know, at the beginning, you're going to, you know, be experiencing much more sort of like what you'd see in a traditional sort of college classroom, right? It's the instructor at the front of the room. Now, granted, they have, you know, um, the, the, you know, their code up on on the screen, they're doing it live in real time, you know, folks are following along and copying that. But as the course goes on, it becomes less like a classic room experience and more like work, right? You're doing project-based work with folks on teams. You know, you're using the tools that are used in, you know, many sort of like dev shops um, and also doing collaborations with other sort of students potentially with, you know, who are learning user experience design or data science um, and really sort of doing that kind of project-based work. And, you know, we drop a new programming language on students, you know, two-thirds of the way through the program with the idea that, you know, what the stack that you're learning in the classroom may not be the stack that you're going to be working on day in, day out. So, so much of it is about being resourceful, right? How do you, when you don't know something, how do you learn? How do you, you know, solve problems? How do you ask for help? How do you seek out resources that can help you understand something, a concept or a language that's totally new to you, right? And so I think that the, that the two things really work in, in close parallel because it's about sort of adopting a behavior of constant learning, of resourcefulness, of collaboration. I think the sort of the old image of the, you know, software engineer or somebody who's sort of like sitting in the corner by themselves is just not really reflective of how most sort of, you know, tech and startup communities actually work. It's all about collaboration, problem solving, you know, figuring out how to sort of troubleshoot things that have never been seen before, right? right? Or never been seen by the folks in the room. So, you know, really so much of it is about not just sort of getting those, those hard skills, which are absolutely critical, but those also that sort of like that, that, creativity, solution orientation, problem solving mindset, adaptability, willingness to sort of like take on new challenges, learn, be flexible, and also be tolerant of ambiguity, right? Like mm -hmm. you're a founder, you know, I, I'm sure Evan and Jessica can speak to this as well. Like you're living in a constant state of ambiguity, right? And so being able to sort of be resilient and resourceful in that kind of uncertainty, I think is so much of, of what we try to impart through the classroom experience. And then hopefully that serves folks well uh, when they're on the job. And, and, and do you find that, so for, for corporates that you partner with, do you find that they are as thirsty for, for the mindset shift as they are for the hard skills being, you know, being learned by their employees or, or is it one usually actually over the, over the other? Because I can imagine for a corporate, um, sometimes it probably is just th the thought first is we just want them to be able to do this thing. And maybe you guys are the ones that are like, hey, but in order to be able to do that, we have to change the mindset, the culture, the framework. Is, is that what you've noticed and witnessed? You're exactly right. I think so much of it is like, we need everybody to be data scientists. And it's like, well, not necessarily, right? You need everybody to have a fluency with data. You need to have everybody be able to sort of talk to data scientists and ask the right kind of questions and understands the systems and the tools and the processes so that they can you know, thoughtfully and intentionally scope work so that, you know, you can deliver successful projects, but not everybody needs to know all of the hard skills. So much of it is about just having a common language, a common vocabulary, a shared view of what these different tools are and the way that, you know, the, the that sort of translates into actual work product, right? And so I think so much of it, and, and while those hard skills are absolutely critical, right? I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be in business if, if that wasn't sort of a big piece of it. Um, you know, often the sort of the starting point for the conversation is we think we need 
this. So we're like, yes, you need this, but more than that, you need a sort of a a mindset, a culture, you know, a set of behaviors, and also a sort of a common language and vocabulary, so that people are 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 you know talking to each other and not across each other. Right, for sure. So, like you know, I, and prior to, I know Amanda and I were going back and forth to different articles and stuff about um, the skills gap, and one of the things is that eighty percent of Americans feel that there truly is one. Um, and I mean, I guess my my question to you would be understanding that there is this gap that's why companies are bringing you in there is this gap that's why people are changing their careers learning from you guys and then moving forward um are you finding there is as much of a skills gap as there is opportunity gap when you know you're in the impact space so what what are your thoughts on you know kind of the confluence of those two things i mean i think the opportunity gap is a much bigger problem than the skills gap i mean i think there is tremendous talent um out there that is not given the opportunity to sort of one see and hear and engage with these types of career pathways you know and opportunities much less sort of have the opportunity to sort of engage with those skills i think a lot of students who you know have participated in in you know some of our our programs and partnerships through our kind of our social impact work have you know been sort of like forced into these very narrow boxes that haven't really allowed them to, you know, really unleash their full talent and their capabilities. And so I think one of the things that, whether it is America on tech, whether it's General Assembly, that is, I think, kind of core to how we operate is to sort of like demystify a lot of stuff to recognize that like, look, this isn't necessarily a career pathway for everyone, but recognizing what these opportunities are, recognizing what these ecosystems are, understanding what you need to do to be able to be successful, and that you actually can be successful. You don't have to go to like MIT to become, you know, pursue like a career in technology, right? There are, there are other pathways and, and ways of learning. Um, and so, you know, I think the, I think the bigger problem that we're facing is that opportunity gap and really just making sure that people know what their options are, have ways to sort of accessibly engage with them and also sort of have it in a way that is sort of like affordable and able to be, you know, integrated into, into their lives, right? I mean, I think we're seeing this as we're all working from home is that, you know, for parents of, of school-age kids, like, you know, managing, you know, working and, you know, parenting is is brutal and it's similarly the case when you're trying to learn or gain a whole new set of skills right so being able to sort of have the sort of flexibility to meet people where they are wherever that is um i think is absolutely critical to sort of addressing that but i also think there needs to just be a kind of a fundamental disruption of you know the perceptions around who gets to participate in these spaces and who gets to be in these rooms, right? And who gets to be decision makers. And I think we have a lot of work to do in the United States, but also around the globe to sort of help to sort of like illuminate some of those pathways so that people can sort of find their, find their way in a way that works for them. Absolutely. I know, you know, the CEO of Wells Fargo was under a bunch of heat last week for making comments about, you know, he, he, they struggle to find black talent. And, um, you know, people have, it's, it's, it's nonsensical, but, but if you don't really know how to go about finding talent, then you won't find the talent, right? So if you're not sourcing the HBCUs, if you're, if you're not, you know, if you're not engaged with local communities, um, if you're not asking the right people who are in the right rooms or, or have the right people at the table, you're never going to really find out the answers. And so I, I am very interested in how we bridge, you know, what was already historically happening 
with now this drastic change in the last six months or so, um, where you're right, people are working from home with their kids right behind them, jumping on the bed. Um, you know, many folks also just don't have access to internet. Um, and so their kids stopped going to school in early March and really have not returned to school since. Um, and the gap is just widening from opportunities, skill set, learning, um, you know, but it, it brings me to this question one of our, uh, you know, one of our audience members asking, and they say, um, are there any trends you are seeing during the pandemic around tech? Uh, has there been a shift in what people are interested in learning or anything of the sort? No, but I think we're seeing just more demand in general, right? And I think especially through some of these public-private partnerships, we're able to sort of like get creative about sort of, okay, if you don't have accessible Wi-Fi, how do we get you accessible Wi-Fi? If you don't have the machine you need, how do we get you the machine you need, right? If you need sort of additional you know, services or support, refers to public benefits, you know, childcare, you know, housing assistance, you know, rent abatements, whatever, right? How can we sort of work with you to sort of make learning possible? And I think, you know, one, that sort of helps people get in the door, but also stay throughout the experience. I would also just name that I think that we're just seeing more demand from more folks who are just saying either like, I didn't like my job that much anyway, or I needed to, I want to think a little bit differently about my career because, you know, working in, in like, I've loved working in the restaurant industry, but it just doesn't feel like there's a sort of a stable and sustainable future for me. So I just got to figure something else out. Right. Um, and obviously that's sad for, for, so many reasons that you have these sort of really vital and important industries that are really have really shrunk um but it has sort of i think opened up you know people's curiosity about being like what are the alternatives right like what could my path look like um and i think that's opened the door um for a lot of folks to say you know maybe learning some ux design or data analytics or digital marketing or coding could sort of help get me onto a path that's more sustainable and then maybe i can find other ways to sort of you know serve that passion whether it's for you know um music or food or whatever um in a different kind of way in some of your work, uh, do you find, like when you're, you know, you mentioned data analytics and data science and all these things, do you find that some of your job is to kind of um, unpack or demystify these seemingly big titles or big uh, spaces, you know, and how, what does that work look like? And I, I say that because, you know, I, I, this is like three years ago now, maybe almost two years ago. Um, but at the time, we were, we were doing an online equity crowdfund campaign for Who's Your Landlord for my company. And uh, what I found was I really wanted a way for, because a lot of the VCs and, and whatnot that I was meeting, a lot of the investors I was meeting were older white guys. And so I wanted a way for, you know, black people to invest in a tech company because the assumption is always, oh, are, like, they're, they're, people assume you're public. Like you must be like a Facebook or something. Um, right. And there's ways to invest in the private markets that, you know, can create a lot of wealth that we see a lot of these accredited investors having. Um, but I found that when I was, you know, this is, I guess, early, it was end of 2017, early 2018, I found at that period of time, I was pitching two things. One is I was pitching, first, the idea that you could invest in my company. But the second layer, um, and actually what ended up being the first layer was, what does it even mean to invest in my company? How do how does equity work? How do how, you know what what is the mechanism for how this even works at all? Um, so I was teaching two things at once, 
Um, but I think that's that that has changed a lot in the last two and a half years. I think now people are maybe a little bit more understanding of how the flow works beyond just what they're learning on Shark Tank. Um, but even for you, you know, how do you, how do you think about demystifying these seemingly crazy industries or, or verticals that maybe are simple, simple, can be simply explained? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big question. I mean, I think the way that I think about it is one, it's going to take a lot of organizations, right? And that's why I think that like you know, America on Tech is reaching high school students, right? Often in sort of like in underserved communities, right? And so you need to you need to hit people at different points throughout their lives and their career sets. I also think that one thing that I sometimes get frustrated, you know in terms of my own conversations with funders around just sort of like, you know, helping people be successful in, in training experiences like GAs is like one, there is no sort of like one size fits all solution that's just going to like, you know, solve an, any individual's problems. That's just, that's that's not the way that the, that's not the way that things work, right? People need different learning experiences, different opportunities to, you know, get to learn, to get mentorship, to have people invest in them both monetarily, but also in terms of their time and energy and support, right? So that's one piece of it. And the other thing is that, you know, people need multiple experiences throughout their careers. I know that I'm sure that you could name in terms of your own career trajectory, multiple people who have sort of helped you to sort of like find your path and have invested in you multiple sort of experiences that have helped to sort of like shape your own kind of growth. I mean, I would not be where I am without the mentors who who supported me, the people who, you know, saw something in me and took a bet on me. Um, and sort of like, you know, also just, you know, the, the, the space to kind of like mess up and fail or sort of find yourself in a, you know, sort of painted into a corner, right? That's all part of any individual's like growth experience. So I think, you know, ultimately, I think we need to really recognize that this needs to happen at, at multiple touch to, for any human being to be successful in the world of work. You need a lot of support from a lot of people and a lot of touch points at a lot of different points, right? And people are ready for different stuff at different times. And that is okay, right? And I think that one of the things that I think is is so much about you know, what we really try to foster in terms of when people are sort of coming to, you know, a, you know, how to break into the startup scene or how to get a job in tech, you know, workshops is that, you know, you're making a change. This is scary. It's vulnerable. It's hard. You know, like th- th- it takes a lot of like trust in yourself and a lot of uncertain dealing with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of risk. And so how do we sort of give you as much information that you need to sort of feel like you are in an environment where you can sort of grow and learn and be supported. Um, but also that, you know, that, that if you're not ready for us, here's some other things that you can do. Right. And I think so much of it is about, you know, creating different ways to meet people where they are, wherever they are, but also making sure that they're consistent ways and that people are sort of inspired, empowered, and are given the space and the opportunity um, to be successful and try things out and to learn. I don't know if that answers your question, but I mean, it does. It does. You know, so it, this is so last night was a debate um, and all the. the was it a debate? <laughs> Fair, right. But each each candidate got two minutes to, to answer each question and they didn't get a chance usually to answer them um, without one speaking over the other. Um, there, we all know which one was that. But that being said, I have, so I have a few questions here from the audience. I have about a nine minute ish window here. 
So I want to figure out, I want to get you to give me two minutes on each of these, these answers here. Um, the first one ties into exactly what you were saying. It's if you were to rethink your career path, what tech vertical would you pursue and why? And I feel like it ties into what you were saying because, you know, there are multiple touch points with how we determine where we end up. And what I love about the fact that in our prep call, just like just briefly before this, you already knew Evan Jess as, as mentioned, um, which means that the, the industries run close. Like, you know, if you're, you're doing the, the right work and doing the hard work, you end up running into many of the same people. Um, so for you, even though you've been able to cultivate this great career, have you ever thought about, re like, have you ever rethought your career path? Um, and yeah. what tech vertical would you pursue? It's an interesting question. I mean, I, um, I actually come from the nonprofit sector. So I worked all the nonprofits before I came to GA. And so, you know, really came in to sort of help kind of think about our own kind of like mission and kind of social justice commitments, right? So, you know, one of the things I'm good at, I'm good at sort of like raising money and building programs and building partnerships, right? So I'm not really a technologist myself. I mean, I think as somebody who's a kind of a creative person, I've always found like UX design to be really fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and also because I'm just fundamentally interested in people. And I think it, you know, there's something about UX that sort of mixes the sort of like human psychology with, you know, with creative design elements and then sort of helping to be the translator between like the highly technical, you know, developers and then the maybe the the lay end user that I think is really fascinating. I also do really love data and I geek out around sort of like big data sets. So that's something that I um I enjoy as well. But um I mean I think I wish General Assembly had been around when I was, you know, in my twenties and trying to figure out my life and, you know, was hating my job and didn't know what I wanted to do. Um and I think that the fact that, you know, there are so and, and you know, we're just one of many organizations, you know, America on Tech Europe, Perscolis, um, Merit America, all these different groups that are out there doing incredible work to sort of help folks, you know, sort of find their way um, in. And so, you know, I also think that that hopefully that speaks to a, a broader shift, um, that there isn't a sense that like, you know, when you're 18 years old, you got to have a certain kind of experience. And that's going to be the thing that like sets you up for your future career path, right? Because that's just like, not the way the world works anymore um and so i think i just beyond the just sort of like what what path would i take um i just reflect a lot on sort of like that sense that you know there's only one way to kind of find your way in the world of work if you want to work in a certain type of industry um and so i think that is something that i, I wish for my 20 something self <laughs> no i definitely understand um so I have another question here for you. So how, how has the current unemployment crisis affected students who are graduating from your programs and were expecting a new job with their new skill set? It is the biggest thing keeping all of us up at night, for sure. I mean, I think we saw a pretty big drop in terms of just like the week over week placements as compared to the sort of pre-recession. Um, you know, right at the beginning, that is swinging back up again. I think, um, you know, it, you know, the, 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 the promise, you know, the Dow jump today is there sort of discussion of a new economic stimulus. So I think, you know, there are sort of, and, and I think our, the careers that we train for are much more um, resilient um, than many other kind of job categories. Um, and, you know, MZ, um, which is like a labor market analytics firm, put out a really interesting report around sort of resilient skills. And many of the ones that GA teaches are, are, are much more sort of insulated. But, you know, we're certainly not immune to it. And I think it's something that 
our career coaches who already work really hard or working overtime um, to support students because also so much of this is like psychological. Everybody's like stuck at home. You know, all you're doing, going through an application and interview process all on Zoom. It's just, it's not the same, right? Um, and, you know, people are, are, are struggling and things are really uncertain and navigating mental health issues. So that affects your ability to like maintain confidence, resilience in a job search. So, you know, there, there are just like a multiplicity of factors that are really sort of making it tough for folks. But I think we're trying to do everything we can to keep our grads on track with their searches, keep them feeling sort of motivated and resilient, helping them to sort of find opportunities to pick up short-term or gig or part-time work using their new skills that can help kind of keep them building their portfolios, their resumes, um, and really just, you know, working with employers to make sure that they know that we have this phenomenal talent coming out of the program. So, um, you know, I think we're, we're, we're weathering the storm probably better than many educational providers, but, you know, it is something that I think is just, there's, there's so much uncertainty and there's just a lot we can't control. Got you. And so the, the nerd in me has to ask this more from a strategic pr perspective. Um, as GA was getting started, what, what, where was the focus really like in terms of did you guys feel like first let's hire and figure out the people who will help with the job placements first and learn what these companies need and then we'll train to that or did you say no we're going to train around ubiquitously you know use things across these industries and then we're going to hire the right people to help with that offboarding and then onboarding into companies um where where was the focus more so in the beginning that is a great question um, and I wasn't there in the beginning, so this is sort of my own kind of like inherited, sure. you know, perception. But um, so I think the original idea was like, okay, there are a lot of, there's a lot of demand for these skills. There's so much demand that like a lot of these companies can't hire fast enough, right? And we're not talking about Facebook and Google. We're talking about, you know, other companies in other sectors who have just as much demand for web developers um, or UX designers that can't compete with the big Silicon Valley firms for you know, the folks who are coming out of super elite, you know, computer science programs, right? What could, could we teach something in a relatively short period of time if it's tightly aligned to the skills that are used on day one of that job? Two, could rather than hiring people with PhDs, though some of our instructors do have PhDs, but could we hire people who have worked in industry, who know what it's like to do this work um, and who have a passion for teaching um, to sort of help put this in real life context? And can we make all of our curriculum really tightly aligned to what's in demand in the labor market? And then really add that career coaching element, which helps students to sort of articulate what their, their you know, their personal brand is, right? So if you've worked in, um, and I keep going back to the, the restaurant industry, but you know, I think it's a good example. Like if you've managed a restaurant, right? You know how to handle stress, you have good customer service skills, um, you know how to sort of deal with sort of ambiguity, you know how to deal with the front of the house and the back of the house, right? Like you have all these sort of highly relevant skills that you could put to work in another context. So if we talk, if we sort of leverage your past experience, whatever that is, right, and then sort of add on top of that, you know, a really, you know, in-demand skill set and put you through a really intense program, you know, it's 12 weeks, it's intense, it's all day, every day, it's a pressure cooker, right? You've got to be motivated, you've got to be passionate, you've got to be committed, you've got to have grit, like you really, you know, have to, to put a lot of yourself into that to be successful, then chances are we can sort of get you hired, especially if your competition is, is you know, maybe straight out of a, a four-year, you know, degree program and hasn't had a lot of workforce experience, right? Um, 
And I think we've been able to just really prove that that works. I think the thing that we have had to learn is that we can't do that for all industries, right? Or all job categories, right? There are going to be limits to that. You probably don't want like a brain surgeon, like doing a three month immersive and then, you know, doing this work. And, you know, I think we also have to set expectations, right? Like you're not going to be like a, 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 you know, a senior engineer at Google after doing three months of training. It's just not possible. But we are going to give you that, as we were talking about earlier, that mindset, that resilience, that learning you know, mentality, that resourcefulness so that you can grow really fast. And I think what's cool is that a lot of times we see folks who graduated two, three, four, five years ago, who are now coming back and hiring GA grads because they're managing large teams within their own um, organization. So, you know, I think the other thing is that we had to have a certain degree of humility that like, we're not a one size fits all for all students, and we're not a one size fits all for all industries, right? And so I think, figuring out the, how to sort of strike the right balance and be really intentional about that. It's been a big part of our own journey, but really it started with the, like the ultimate customer for GA is the hiring manager, right? The person who's hiring the graduate, they have to be happy. Right. So like, you know, the student has to get, and that's a promise to the students is that we help them find, get to that point. Right. So everything else has to be in service to that. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I appreciate that break breakdown. It's always, I'm always intrigued by the, the nuances of how companies look at whatever it is that they're doing and how it, you know, which part of the pipeline is the, the most important to fill up first or figure out first. Um, so the rest of it fits. So I have one last question for you today. Um, and I appreciate all the insight you've been giving us. I think people at home are learning a ton. Um, my last question is from an audience member as well. What are some big gaps in the ed tech space uh, that have arisen in virtual learning from K to 12? Um, in, in other words, if you were to go out and solve a problem in that space, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is the online learning experience for most students is terrible. Um, I also teach at a, a traditional higher ed um, at a, gra in a graduate program. And like, they were not ready. They're still not ready. They've been doing it since March and like they haven't been able to sort of figure out systems and tools that work. If people could figure out how to make the online educational experience, especially for little guys, like you have, you know, like four and five year olds on Zoom all day. It's like, it's, you know, how, that's I think the thing that like, you know, we, we, we've been doing it for years. So we were able to adapt pretty readily. Um, and because many people are going into digital careers where they're all on remote teams, like it's less sort of disruptive. But I think if people could figure out, I don't know, maybe it's like creating more kind of like virtual spaces and worlds for people to interact as like avatars, I don't know, right? But like, you know, the, 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 I think that's the thing that, that's like the biggest pain point right now is how do you deliver a quality learning experience that recognizes that you can't just do what you do in the classroom, right? Which I think is happening at a lot of four-year institutions in particular, um, and is also being sort of like foisted onto, you know, a lot of K-12 educators who just don't not, you know, who are smart and passionate and dedicated, but don't have the tools, the resources, the training, the support to be able to sort of like shift into this totally new reality. So if, if anybody can figure that out, you know, you're, you'll be the next Google. <laughs> oh, it's really interesting you bring that up. So shout out to the team at Blavity and Afrotech, because I know that, you know, I think next month uh, they're doing the Afrotech virtual world, um, where normally, you know, you, you I, I'd be there every, every fall, you'd link up in the Bay Area and be all these amazing Black people from all over the tech industry that would, you know, land on, on the Bay Area and have these amazing events. And so now, 
I guess the way they've structured it is they've teamed up with some gaming t companies and you're going to be virtually walking through the spaces and, and learning. And so I am very intrigued to see how that world, you know, innovates and changes as we realize this is kind of our new norm for at least another year, you know. Um, I, 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 I do want to ask this last question. I know um, I just want to be mindful of time here as we shift over to America on Tech. But this is from a former GA uh, alum or their, their former GA student. Um, so the, the old school alum from 2014 says, I love GA um, and I want, I want the school to succeed, um, but we're all, meaning everyone in education, talking about the conversation at the wrong level. Um, it's time to focus on change making and painting a better picture of the world. What's the next level for GA? That is a great and big question. I mean, I think we have, we have a new amazing CEO. Her name is uh, Lisa Lewin, who joined us a little over a month ago. And I think for her, it's all around accessibility, right? How do we think about having more programming in multiple languages, being able to move into multiple geographies, being able to adapt to not, you know, most of our curriculum is in English at this point, right? So, you know, being able to sort of adapt to a truly global economy, but also, you know, the reality is like our programs are expensive, right? And right now we're not eligible for sort of federal funding, educational funding like Title IV and Pell, we don't wanna be um, because it's caused a lot of problems for other sort of for-profit education providers in the past. Um, but how do we sort of stop making the expectation that individual students have to be responsible for bearing the full cost of their education, right? And so, you know, employers have a role to play, government has a role to play. Um, and there could be ways that you can, you can also, you know, we've been experimenting with a lot of new financing options that are, you know, you don't pay anything upfront and you pay a certain share of your income after you get a job. Um, but I think at the end of the day, that still leaves open a lot of questions about access and equity. Um, and so I think beyond just the sort of like the broader perception gaps that need to continue to be shattered um, around who has a place in the, this world of tech, data, design, digital marketing, you name it, um, how do you remove as much friction just from a, I can, I can get, get it accessibly, I can get it affordably, I can do it based on the other things that are happening in my life. Right, um, and I can do it in in my native language, right? And I think that's really where we're sort of like headed in terms of our 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 future. Um, and you know, hopefully, we'll we'll get there. Absolutely. Well, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm glad Amanda introduced us. Uh, you seem like a really cool dude, man. And so, um, kudos to you on the work you're doing and the work you're continuing to do. Um, where can people find you? How can people um, find you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also email me. My email is tom.o at ga.co. Um, so, you know, feel free to get in touch. I'm always uh, happy to, to make time when I can to, to connect with folks. So um, we'd love to see a lot of LinkedIn invites after this um, from folks who, who are interested in learning more. Thanks for joining us for this amazing episode of WYL Take Ownership Podcast, where we're all about taking ownership of your mental, your economics, and your community. Have a good one, y'all. Peace.